0: Block Talk Radio Choices, decisions Frustrations and Pain Knowing I'm going To forget her someday While I still can I'll challenge All my loved ones Every friend To look inside Their hearts and ha Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm the founder of Alzheimer's Speaks Radio website, uh, Dementia Chats, and quite a few other platforms. And basically, Alzheimer Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture around the world. And we believe by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations about life with dementia, And services, products, and tools, we can go ahead and remove the stigma that is attached to memory loss. Um, So many people are in the trenches dealing with this and don't feel like they have a place to go. And so we want to make that comfortable community setting. Um, And our radio show is just one of the ways that we do that. At our core, we really truly believe that collaboratively we can win this battle against dementia. And I know we're making a difference thanks to all of our supporters since ShareCare and Dr. Oz named us the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's disease. So I very much thank you all for helping us grow. And you do that in your advocacy just by liking us, um, sharing, tweeting, um, just spreading the word that we're out there. So again, those little things all add up, and I very, very much appreciate your support. I also want to encourage you, if you haven't checked out our website, AlzheimerSpeaks.com, go there, and again, you can then access all of our different platforms, the blog, the resource uh, directory, the radio show, the YouTube channel, along with all of our um, free tools and so forth, so you'll be able to keep posted on what all we're up to. Our channel expert, Rick Phelps, um, who has early memory loss, might pop into the show I'm never quite sure. Rick was diagnosed in June of 2010, and he's the founder of Memory People. And so if Rick joins us, I will definitely pull him into the conversation. But we would also like to hear from you. Um, We love hearing from our listeners. So if you've signed in via the chat box um, and Facebook, feel free to, to use that to go ahead and pose a question or a comment to me. Or you can always call in live as well. And that number is 714-364-4757. That's 714-364-4757. And I'd love to um, pull you into the conversation. And as soon as there's a break, that's when I'll go ahead and and field those calls. So you don't have to wait for me to pose that to you. You know, If something hits you, go ahead, utilize the chat box or, or call in. I'd also like to just remind people that if you're looking for information and resources in your particular area, no matter where you are in the world, Alzheimer's Disease International, which is also known as ADI, can help you out. Um, They are an organization of Alzheimer's associations around the world. They've got fascinating um, information, great reports, and again, they can hook you up in your particular area. And you can go to them uh, just by going to www.alz.co.uk. And they would love to, uh, they would love to uh, talk with you and see if they can point you in the right direction there. So with no further ado, let's get this show rocking and rolling. We've got a great show today. Um, today we have with us Harvard-trained neurologist Richard S. Isaacson, who is an M.D., he currently serves as Associate Professor of Clinical Neurology and the Vice Chair of Education in the Department of Neurology at the University of Miami, the Miller School of Medicine. Um, Prior to joining the University of Miami, he served as an Associate Medical Director of the Wine um, Center for uh, Alzheimer's Disease and Memory Disorders in Mount Sinai. Dr. Isaacson specializes in Alzheimer's disease, mild cognitive impairment, age-related memory loss, and other cognitive impairments. He's a board certified um, by the American uh, Board of Psychiatry and Neurology, and he has widely appeared in the media, including CNN, NBC, uh, CBS, and the Wall Street Journal, um, U.S. News, and the World Report. Um, And so on. So we're just really thrilled to have him with us today. How are you doing today, Dr. Isaacson? Let me go ahead and pull you in to the conversation here.
1: Great. Thank you so much, Laurie. It's just a, really a pleasure to be on and just I wanted to thank you so much uh, for really all you do. You've really um you know set the standard and just uh, the amount of information you share. Um, I I have a, a a significant family history. I have four te- separate family members uh, that have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and the you know education is power, knowledge is power and I just appreciate all that you do to spread uh, spread the word. So, uh, thanks for having me.
0: Well, as they say, it takes a village. I think, you know, we're in this together <laughs> and none of us has all the answers and To me, this is a disease where we really truly need a toolbox. And everybody, you know, everybody is different. Um, Every person diagnosed and and every care partner deals with this disease differently. And so it's not something that can just be, uh, you know, cookie cutter. Um, And so I'm a firm believer on my 30-year journey with my mom, who's still living, um, you know, this has been over half of my life, and I just felt that we just need more support in, in a variety of it, so that people can make their own choices for what's best for them. So, I'm, okay. I'm really excited to talk to you today um, about what you're what you're up to. But before we get into that, um, why don't you give our audience um, just a little kind of snapshot of Alzheimer's disease in the U.S. today? That'll probably just give us a nice foundation for our talk.
1: Sure, of course. So, you know, Alzheimer's disease is, um, in my opinion, it's not just a public health crisis, but I think it's a, a public health emergency. Um, you know, we have, based on a variety of statistics, over five, probably five and a half million Americans currently in the United States with Alzheimer's. Uh, the problem is, is that we have an aging population. You know, baby boomers started turning 65 for the first time uh, just in the last year or two. And, you know, the, the epidemic is only going to worsen. In the year 2050, we're gonna have, you know, over 16 million cases. And I think another problem is, is not only do we have all these cases, but a lot of these cases. Patients just aren't optimally treated. Um, they're not even diagnosed. Um, a lot of people say, oh, it's just normal. Um, you know, it's normal uh, to forget things um, as you age. And there are some things that are normal as we age. But, um, you know, Alzheimer's disease is nothing to be afraid of or ashamed of. We need to, you know, really fight this from the get-go. And if anyone listening is, is knowing a, a person that they love, a friend, a family member, or even themselves having any signs of, you know, a little bit of memory glitches or, you know, maybe something isn't working like it should, I always advocate to see a qualified medical professional because there's so much that we can do, and, and what the most recent uh, evidence, and the most recent research has shown is that the earlier you intervene, the earlier you attack this from, from every angle, as, as long as it's safe and grounded in evidence, that's when we can actually truly make the most benefit. So, you know, what's going on with Alzheimer's today? This is a tough disease, but 2013 is literally, uh, in, in my professional career, the most exciting year um, that I've seen on record for Alzheimer's. We're starting the first ever Alzheimer's prevention trials. Um, the first person ever will, will get the treatment of this month. Um, I was just actually at the International Conference um, on Alzheimer's disease in Florence, just got back uh, yesterday, and um, the excitement was in the area. You know, I was presenting about my nutrition research, but there's so much out there from therapies, nutrition, um, drugs in the, in the pipeline, uh, lifestyle changes. I just think that uh, Alzheimer's is uh, going to be a, a great year uh, to fight this disease.
0: Well, that's exciting to hear. Um, I, I, too, think that there are so many changes in the wind and um, so many things just bubbling, and, and the conversations are getting much more comfortable, um, I think, in the public. Uh, and to me, that's that's huge because this has been such a hidden disease and one with so many stigmas. And not that we still don't have that battle, but um, the conversations are starting, and, and um, that's that's truly a blessing. Um, now today what, what I really wanted to focus on was, you know, there's been so much talk about nutrition and Alzheimer's, and um, I know that that's a, a focus of your research. So I'm wondering if you can kind of give us a, a brief overview of some of the really exciting findings um, that our audience you know, would find interesting.
1: Sure. Um, So I I think the good news here is, you know, a lot of people say you are what you eat, um, and what we're learning, and for the first time really ever in the last several years, we're truly learning that there is a difference, um, and basically there's an effect of diet and nutritional strategies um, in terms of Alzheimer's disease. Um, You know, for the first time ever in the last two years, there is evidence that shows that patients that already have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, if they change their diet in a very specific way, and these are these are high-quality studies. They can actually change their diet in a specific way, and their memory may improve. Um, when it comes to reducing risk for developing Alzheimer's or um, even um, Alzheimer's prevention, that was the, the title of my talk in Florence um, a couple days ago, um, we're really finding that very specific nutritional approaches um, have not only uh, you know, evidence, scientific research that back it, but also that are, are very safe and also have other health benefits too. So I think you know, the, most, the most recent exciting findings um, I think there are several. I think um, one of them is related to uh, carbohydrates and that um, when it comes to carbohydrates, less is more. Um, there's studies out there that show that people that already have memory loss, if they can follow a very specific uh, type of low-carbohydrate diet, I won't go into too many details because it's, uh, it's not as straightforward as that, um, but um, you can actually potentially not only improve memory, uh, but you can have other benefits too. Um, you can lose some weight. You can make your insulin response uh, better. And that's a, a body's Response to sugar, um, and um, even your blood your blood sugar uh, can actually be more well controlled. Um, wow. When it comes to uh, re- yeah, I mean the the research is it's not just for memory loss. Um, this is a, a, a dietary changes will affect memory loss positively, but also other uh, aspects of the of the body and of other, other medical conditions too. Well,
0: that's, that's <laughs> um, great
1: yeah Um, and I mean and and there's no one you know magic thing that you can eat or or drink to to just you know suddenly take away memory loss or do something like that but I put my patients on a very specific nine-week diet plan these are my patients that I've been following for years in my clinic I have them track what they eat Um, you know for example the Mediterranean style diet uh, probably has the most evidence for reducing uh, risk of of developing Alzheimer's um, or or cognitive impairment Um, I mean there's just so many things very specific types of Fish that are high in a specific type of fatty acid and omega-3 called DHA, dark cocoa powder. Um, I love dark chocolate sometimes too much, um, but you yeah. know there's even a recent study on on dark cocoa powder. Adding that uh, to your uh, meal can uh, actually not just improve memory loss but uh, blood pressure. Um, uh, very specific types of berries: strawberries, blueberries. The list just goes on and on, and, and I could literally talk about this one topic probably for an hour or two. Um, but I think the take-home point is that there is so much that we can do. Um, I mean, two, three years ago, I, I didn't have the evidence to talk about this. You know, now I'm able to write an entire book uh, on. You know, it's called the Alzheimer's Diet, and basically, it goes through exactly uh, what uh, my uh, my patients uh, have have uh, the instructions that they've listened to, and you know how well they've done afterward. I think another really important brief point is that. The problem also is that not all patients and not all individuals will respond the same way to specific dietary choices. I had an email uh, within the last week or so that said, you know, my wife and I ate the same things for, you know, 60 years. And my wife developed Alzheimer's and I didn't. Um, I don't believe that diet helps or works. And my response to that is, you know, I, I understand this is a terrible and this is a tough disease, but there's a genetic component to not only developing diseases but it's a genetic component that uh, basically tells a doctor or a patient if that person will respond to a specific therapy. So what I mean by this is people with specific genes or genetic code uh, will respond preferentially to one therapy or another, and that's based on you know their DNA or their genetics. So this is a field called neutrogenomics or pharmacogenomics, meaning Mr. Jones may need to eat this, this, and this, but Mrs. Jones may need to eat that, that, and that, or have that drug versus that because the genes will predict a therapeutic response to a management choice in Alzheimer's disease. Uh, It's a complicated topic, but um, that's hopefully a a nice brief overview.
0: Wow. Now, you had mentioned, I'm going to back you up a little bit, you had mentioned the Mediterranean diet, and a lot of people talk about that, but can you, in a nutshell, just tell listeners, what is a Mediterranean diet? Because I think a lot of people hear it, but they don't really know what that means.
1: Right, that's a, that's a really good point. So the Mediterranean diet, and actually, I mean, let me preface this with the Mediterranean style diet. Um, and the Mediterranean style diet basically means not only dietary changes, but also active physical exercise. So the research that's been done um, actually looks at dietary changes plus um, an active physical lifestyle. And actually, there's research that shows that the two of those, it's kind of like one plus one equals three. So basically, you have a healthy diet plus you exercise, that is going to be an exponentially higher uh, benefit or it synergizes together or works better together. So now let's get back to what are the specific types of food in this Mediterranean-style diet. And I think one of the the key points here is vegetables, lots of vegetables. Um, Green leafy vegetables, a good tip is if it's green, eat it. Um, fruits and vegetables <laughs> as well. Um, and, and you know, I, I've never been a, a kale sort of person until I started putting kale in my smoothies and, and, and my uh, my juices. And I said, wait a minute, kale's actually pretty good. So it may take a while to enjoy these green leafy vegetables but or these green uh, different types of things, but um, I've learned how to. Um, lean proteins, um, fish, chicken and turkey, low-fat yogurts and cheeses, nuts and seeds in moderation, meaning, uh, uh, you know, A small handful of nuts and seeds is is probably okay but uh, you know a cup or two or three or multiple handfuls is probably not as good Um, reducing red meat reducing processed foods kind of living off of a natural healthy uh, living off the land living uh, off the green healthy lifestyle and also wine Um, you know one glass of wine in women uh, red or white red may be better and in men men can probably have one to two glasses of wine uh, for example each night with dinner so this is the type of Mediterranean style diet um, that um, uh, really gets those um, healthy fats, like olive oil, avocados, um, for example, are healthy brain-boosting fats um, that can actually be protective uh, for the brain.
0: Wonderful. Thank you for going into some detail there. I think you gave a lot of wonderful pointers that people can go ahead and, and uh, start incorporating into their, into their lifestyle. And um, with St. Patty's Day coming, just because it's green doesn't necessarily mean it's going to fall into that category. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. I, I was in
1: Savannah, Georgia once, and they made the the beer green. So okay, I guess I guess you're right about that.
0: Yep, yep, that's a pretty big thing up here in Minnesota. Everything turns green. Yeah. You know, and I think like there's a run on the food coloring for about. That's way it goes. With that, yeah. so. Uh, and now you had you had also mentioned chocolate, which is a big favorite of people. If you can talk a little bit more about the maybe the different types of chocolate and why certain types are better, I think that would be helpful as well.
1: Yeah, this is this is really important because you know I I have, that's my, one of my major vices. You know I love dark chocolate, and um, the problem with um, saying that okay dark chocolate is healthy uh, is that when you have a dark chocolate bar or a or a, a chocolate bar, if you look at the ingredient list, it's sugar, sugar, and then butter, and then some more butter and more sugar, and then comes the, the dark cocoa or the dark chocolate. So I think what, you know, what I teach my patients in my clinical practice is to read nutrition labels, and I think it's really essential to understand what you're putting into your body. When it comes to the, the evidence or the research on dark cocoa, the most recent research specifically shows that the dark cocoa powder itself um, is the thing that is probably the most brain-boosting. Um, you know, I, I love a dark chocolate Chocolate bar um, and dark chocolate. If you're going to have any chocolate whatsoever, the darker the cocoa is probably the better. The milk and the white chocolate, um, you may like it in terms of taste, but in terms of brain boosting effects, I don't really think there are much uh, because it's not, uh, you know, that with all the fat and the sugar and everything else in the chocolate bar, um, it's probably more negative than positive. But as my mom has taught me, everything in moderation. What I do is I add a very specific type of dark cocoa powder um, in my coffee. It's the same cocoa powder that was proven in the, in the research studies. And even there's some evidence that shows uh, caffeinated coffee um, in, in small to moderate amounts, some um, earlier in the day so that it doesn't interfere in sleep. I start my day with a, a small cup of coffee, four to, about four to six ounces, with my dark cocoa, with um, instead of uh, using sugar, um, and sugar's okay in, in you know moderation and in, in low amounts. I actually use agave. Agave is a type of um, uh, uh, sweetener. It's a natural sweetener that actually tastes very similar to sugar, but has a lower glycemic response. And glycemic, we won't get into this too much, but is basically the amount of a sugar or carbohydrate to um, maybe promote uh, insulin or uh, inflammation in the brain, but that's a, that's another topic. But when it comes to dark cocoa powder, I add it to the coffee, and um, I think that is kind of like a two-for-one uh, in the morning.
0: Okay, wonderful. Thank you. Um, can you tell us, you know, what is it about Alzheimer's that really affects the brain process? And, you know, how, how are these things going to really help? I, I don't know if you can talk in simple language for us laymen. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. So I I'll do the best I can and I'm gonna parrot some of the stuff that I talked about just this uh, just this past weekend um, at the international Alzheimer's meeting in Italy and when it comes to um, I trained in Boston and um, in a lot of the people that were at this meeting they lectured about something called amyloid and I want to use the technical term amyloid because I I do think that um, even people in the public should should be familiar with this the type of protein it's a bad protein that gets stuck in the brain of patients with Alzheimer's so amyloid is the most complicated word I'm going to use Um, I look at things a little bit differently and I think that amyloid um, builds up but there's something that happens before the amyloid builds up. We know that Alzheimer's disease starts in the brain 20 to 30 years before the onset of any symptoms, and that's very interesting because if we can figure out some sort of a therapy that can reduce, whether it's amyloid or brain aging, and start that therapy 20 to 30 years before, that's when we can truly talk about things like Alzheimer's prevention or secondary prevention, and that's really the, the, uh, the philosophy that I take uh, when I see patients for Alzheimer's prevention as well as um, for treatment. Um, So going back to, you know, why does this all happen in the brain, Um, the brain uses two different types of fuels uh, to produce energy or basically to to basically uh, run the brain. So the, the typical, the most common thing that the brain will use to energize itself or to fuel itself is basically sugar and sugar is the same thing as glucose. Glucose is more of the technical term, sugar uh, is kind of the the simple term. And I don't just mean sugar like putting sugar in a coffee like white sugar or brown sugar or something like that, but any carbohydrate, actually bread for example, pasta, all of that gets broken down by the body into a form of sugar and that sugar um, is then used for the brain for fuel. That's its primary fuel source. Now as the brain ages, and actually if you look at the research studies, 20 years before someone will even have any signs of Alzheimer's disease in terms of memory loss or anything else, the brain of that Alzheimer's patient or that pre-Alzheimer's patient will actually not be able to use that sugar like normal brains, okay? So what we're finding, and you know, some people have said, oh, is, is Alzheimer's disease diabetes of the brain or something like that? And I'm not gonna say that per se but what i am going to say is that there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities between uh, diabetes And Alzheimer's. And if you think about diabetes, you want to have a diet that's low in sugar and low in carbohydrate so that your insulin, insulin's a chemical reduced by the body um, to kind of break down sugar. Um, And patients with diabetes, really trying to keep things as simple as possible, um, sometimes have to inject themselves with insulin because insulin can help break down that sugar. It's kind of a similar thing. In patients with Alzheimer's, I recommend low carbohydrate diets to basically protect the brain from inflammation, and I also recommend in patients that have already been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, a new fuel for the brain or a different type of fuel that is different than sugar or glucose, and those are called ketones um, or ketone bodies. So the brain can only use two different things as a source of energy or fuel, and that's going to be sugar or glucose, as well as um, ketones, ketone bodies, and that's great to be used when the glucose can't be used uh, in an Alzheimer's brain. Hopefully that was a little bit technical, but hopefully as simple as I could uh, explain it.
0: No, no, that's it's wonderful because, you know, sometimes things just get so complicated and there's so much research going on, and people just need to know in simple terms, how does that apply to me? <laughs> How right. <laughs> can I digest this and and uh, make it work for me? So I, I do appreciate you breaking it down like that for us. Um, sure. <clears throat> now, as far as the ketones go, you mentioned <clears throat> that they're a good alternative source, you know, for for food for the brain. Is there anything else that you wanted to add regarding that, or?
1: Yeah, so I think I, I think we're really learning that you know there's there's no like as you said before there, there's no one size fits all approach um, for Alzheimer's and you know I'm I'm a very peaceful person but when it comes to Alzheimer's um, I treat every patient as they're my own family member my uncle Bob uh, when he was diagnosed when I was in high school you know the, not not too long ago fifteen twenty years ago there was no treatments there was zero not not any drugs not anything else. Um, when my dad 's cousin uh, was diagnosed just five or six years ago um, we have we 've had made progress. Um, and the, the philosophy that I use in my patient population, as well as in my family, is that we have to attack this like a war. Um, you need the Army and the Air Force and the Navy. And my Uncle Bob was in the Navy. My dad was in the Coast Guard. So we, we have to use all of the branches and hit this from every angle. And I think a lot of people are pretty familiar with the drugs that are available for Alzheimer's disease. There are several FDA-approved drugs or medications that I think a lot of the doctors rely on, but I I don't really think that if if a doctor is just using drug therapy, I just don't think that that is the the most optimal therapy. I believe in a comprehensive approach, a multimodal approach uh, grounded in evidence as well as uh, basically, balance and safety, and one of these approaches that I don't think um, has really caught as much um, uh, attention uh, until recently, because the, the evidence uh, finally uh, has has really um, been been proven, um, is that. Ketones um, can be an alternative source of food or fuel or energy uh, for the brain. And there's a variety of ways to get ketones. Um, For example, um, if you don't eat for 12 to 14 hours, your body will start to produce a very, very, very low level, a natural uh, body production of ketones. Okay, the thing is is that uh, that amount of ketones is probably not enough to have a protective or therapeutic benefit in terms of memory. Um, it may be a, a good thing to minimize carbohydrates and to possibly you know use these naturally produced ketones uh, but there's other ways to um Uh, really uh, increase the amount of ketones in the brain and in the body and there's actually a a medical food that is uh, now in uh, a very large trial uh, that's been uh, studied in the past and a medical food is basically something that you drink and it's prescribed by a physician um, and you shake it up and you drink it and basically this is another way of providing these ketones as an alternative source of energy for the brain so the way that I approach uh, all of my Alzheimer's patients is I hit it from every angle so I use the drugs I use medical food, I use um, nutritional approaches, physical exercise, um, you know, hobbies and musical activities. Um, I hit this from every single angle, and I also educate the patient about all of these different options and, of course, uh, provide as much support uh, and care for the caregiver uh, as well. And I think uh, this this new area of ketones uh, is really the newest uh, kind of um, treatment or, sorry, therapy option uh, that um, really has been underutilized in the past.
0: Okay. So a lot of people are, are I'm, I'm going to throw this out because I don't know, um, hear about protein shakes. Is that considered a medical food? Is that...
1: Okay, good, good, good question. So there's a lot of things that are um, over-the-counter that are kind of, um, you know, shakes or stuff for the brain. Um, that would not be com- uh, considered a medical food. That would be more of a dietary supplement. So maybe I can go through this for a minute because I think it is important. When it comes to... Um, the way that doctors see things and and basically use different words to describe things. On one edge of the spectrum, we have something called drugs. An FDA-approved drug is basically something that goes through rigorous scientific research, multiple what they're called phase three trials, they're called clinical trials, and then the FDA um, is an organization, the Food uh, Food and Drug Administration, will basically review the, um, the, the results of the clinical trials and then can approve something as a drug that's available by prescription. That's on one side of the spectrum. It's very rigorous scientific uh, research, proving uh, efficacy or effectiveness, sorry, and safety. On the other end of the spectrum, we have something called supplements or nutraceuticals. A supplement is kind of the th- thing that you go to the grocery store or the, the, the drugstore, and if you look on the bottle, you know, something like fish oil, for example. If you look on the bottle of fish oil, it says, the FDA has not reviewed or approved uh, this for the treatment or cure of any disease. Basically, supplements um are safe enough as long as um you they're purchased from a reputable company and that's really up to the company um but there's not really clear evidence or scientific research that uh, there's enough to for that for that company to make a claim to say yes this supplement works to cure or prevent or treat memory loss or alzheimer's what it may be is for support uh, of memory function or to boost brain function or something like that so that's a supplement um and that would be more of the when you go and you look at different protein drinks in the, in the store, um, that would be uh, possibly one of those things. Now, in the middle is something called medical foods. And a medical food is, is really an, a term that a lot of physicians and I think a lot of patients and caregivers are not really as familiar with. Um, a medical food is indicated for the clinical dietary management of some sort of an illness and the technical term is the metabolic processes associated with a disease. So when it comes with all, for Alzheimer's disease The metabolic issue or the problem in the brain is that the brain can't use glucose as the primary fuel source. So what can it use? It can use ketone bodies. So the medical food that I was just talking about is actually a prescription medical food intended for the dietary, the clinical dietary management um, of Alzheimer's disease. Um, And in the studies that were done, um, it was it shown that in very specific types of patients, uh, patients that uh, had this medical food by prescription, uh, the name of the medical Food is called Axona, A X O N A. Axona, um, axona the, the, the technical term, what it's made up of, is it's called medium-chain triglycerides. Um, for the listeners, it's just you can just uh, refer to it as Axona. But Axona um, basically addresses uh, the brain's um, uh, problem in terms of using glucose or sugar as a primary fuel source, and it works collaboratively uh, with the other therapeutic options. Uh, that are out there for um, Alzheimer's disease.
0: Oh, interesting. Now, is that something that that people can use at home then? I'm assuming that you can prescribe, you know, it has to be prescribed, so it could be used if someone's living at home or in a care center?
1: Yes so basically any physician um, can prescribe Axona um, and Axona is uh, why is it available by prescription because uh, it's basically um, it's always best to use um, these types of um, therapies uh, under the supervision of a treating physician um, you know I, while I do recommend a variety of therapies I always advocate uh, that that a treating physician should be involved and I think uh, the uh, I think it's always safer um, to um, have um, you know a treating physician look through this and basically uh, any Person with Alzheimer's disease can be prescribed uh, for example in patients with mild to moderate Alzheimer's disease uh, that's the way the studies uh, the clinical studies um, have been done and a, a physician may then say okay well we'll try uh, this medical food I'm going to give you a prescription um, the key is that you have to start this therapy um, very in a very low dose and increase it very slowly uh, over time and this is a way to get the body used to uh, digesting um, the axone or the ketones um, and the, that way, it can address um, the the problem uh, and basically provide the brain with an alternative energy source. Um, and this is a mechanism or a way to, uh, to um, think about this disease, uh, to, to the therapeutics anyway, in a very different sense than some of the drugs or some of the other things.
0: Okay. Now, when... You you know you said you mix it up and it's a liquid. Can you tell people you know what it tastes like, or can you mix it with different types of foods to to make it more palatable, or or is it just something that everybody wants to chug down? <laughs> <It tastes like laughs> gotcha. So uh,
1: so I yeah I always recommend the same thing. And you know um, I I learned this. By um, you know reading um, basically, in, in, uh, there are instructions that come. Um, you know, for example, there's two ways to get exona, and, and one way is to get it uh, via a sample kit. And so, uh, a lot of uh, doctors' offices out there will have samples. And in the sample kit, um, basically, each day you'll start off with a with a lower dose. For the first two days, you start off with one very small. They're 10 gram packets. And what I always recommend is, no matter how small or large the dose, to mix the exona, uh, Powder. Basically, you start off with 10 grams each day and then slowly you increase over a week to the full 40 gram packets. And what I recommend to my patients um, and their caregivers is to start low and go slow. And that's really the take home point. Just like a lot of the drugs that are used, for example, Dinepazil or uh, even the patch that's out there, those uh, medications are usually started at a low dose and then over time after a month or two are increased to a higher dose as tolerated and those are usually for example taken with food and this uh, this axonate therapy is really the same the same thing Axona should be you, you basically mixed, um, and you can mix it in water. Um, and if you mix it in water, it has somewhat of a more of a vanilla y flavor. Um, I actually usually recommend my patients uh, mix it with Boost. Um, I like Boost um, because, um, you know, for example, there's a version of Boost called Calorie Smart, and Boost Calorie Smart um, has is very low sugar and low carbohydrate, so it also helps um, to, um, uh, you know, basically. Um, not just give a little bit of an extra food source to make the um, absorption of axona more um, tolerable uh, but it's also low on the carbohydrate scale so in, in some ways that uh, can be more beneficial on the brain so what I recommend is I have my patients mix uh, the packet of axona and the, the take-home point here is you have to first pour the liquid in and then pour the powder and then you shake it up and just like James Bond said shake and not stirred and you shake <laughs> it up in a shaker cup um, and you mix the boost or skip milk or whatever else you want to use plus the axona shaken not stirred and you have to sip it slowly after a big meal either breakfast or lunch whichever meal is bigger and sip it slowly over 20 to 30 minutes to make sure that you're giving uh, the body uh, the best chance at um, tolerating it uh, without any side effects or you know without getting basically a stomach ache or bloating or anything like that and as long as my patients follow these very specific instructions Sip it slowly after a big meal, breakfast or lunch, whichever meal is bigger, shake and not stirred, and shake it in the shaker cup um, and start low and go slow um, after a week. Um, most patients that i that I um, give this to um, are able to tolerate axona well, um, and then those people and actually in the research, the research actually shows that those patients that are able to um, be compliant with their dosages. Those patients are actually the most likely to benefit. So it's all about education. And I think with Alzheimer's disease, um, this is a new therapy, and most doctors out there aren't as uh, familiar uh, with using, um, you know, a food type therapy, a medical food type therapy. So I think a lot of doctors sometimes don't give these types of very detailed instructions to their patients. Um, with all of my patients, I give a very detailed handout um, and other, you know. Paragraphs of information about how this stuff works because that's all I do. I just 100% of my time is Alzheimer's. In the packages, um, uh, whether it's an exonus sample um, or it's in the box that you get at the pharmacy, there are pretty detailed instructions, and I would just really strongly advocate uh, for any patient or caregiver that's um, uh, trying this uh, for, for their loved one, uh, for a patient with Alzheimer's, that they read the instructions carefully, start low and go slow, and sip it slowly uh, after a big meal.
0: So would this be like an eight ounce glass of
1: yeah yeah basically, basically um it? it's it yeah, basically you can use four, four to six to eight ounces. I usually recommend um, around six ounces or so. Um, and if you mix the powder in a six-ounce um, container and then shake it up um, and then sip it slowly, um, that usually works. Um, for example, Boost is eight ounces. So since Boost is eight ounces and it, it comes conveniently packaged, um, adding the Boost, um, I have a patient actually a, a real, 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 real good guy. Um, his wife uh, and I uh, have been doing everything we can. Uh, for her husband, and um, he's actually doing really well. Um, you know, he loves chocolate like I do, and there's a boost version of Calorie Smart that's a rich chocolate flavored. Um, it's eight ounces, uh, eight ounces, and you add the he adds the Axona powder. Uh, to the boost and then shakes it up in the shaker cup, and it really works well with the eight ounces. Some people um, tolerate it um, just as well in four to six ounces of some sort of a liquid, whether it's water um, or something else. Uh, What he does actually, and this is helpful, um, is after he shakes it up and mixes it, he puts a little bit of ice um, in the mixture, and ice is actually helpful to slow down digestion, and if you can slow down digestion a little bit, uh, it also helps with uh, tolerating. Uh, because if you drink Axona too quickly, or if you don't have it with a big meal, um, it can cause stomach upset, and you know things like nausea, uh, vomiting, diarrhea, even um, even some bloating. And and you know these are common side effects, not just with Axona, but also with the uh, FDA-approved drugs, especially when you don't take them as directed. So it's really important uh, for people to to take this uh, the right way um, and read and Get educated in the package insert in the box.
0: Oh, good. I was going to ask you what some of the side effects might be. Um, you know, and mm-hmm. so I, you know, I like that you're saying, you know, start low and, and um, you kind of grow with it and then, you know, take your time. Um, you know, you, you were very specific in terms of, you know, after meal and um, all of those things make a huge, huge difference in terms of how mm-hmm. your body is going to respond. And sometimes we forget. How important those basic uh, directions are um, in terms of you know how our body's going to react to something, and so you've got yeah. some great little catchy phrases uh, that can help <laughs> point people in a in a good direction and make it simple to understand. So thank you for that. Yeah. Now there's also um, a, a therapeutic trial or a clinical trial going on, isn't there, that uh, people can get involved in?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um and this is actually how I um I kind of got involved um in uh in, in learning more about this. Um uh I'll give you a brief overview. There any time a medical food or any product is basically um uh, going to go through the process of trying to become uh, a drug, an FDA-approved drug. Um, for example, um, there's a type of fish oil. It's a fish oil called Lovaza. And in the past, fish oil was available as a supplement um, or a nutraceutical, and you can buy it, and you can still buy it um, in, in over um, well, the counter. Well, there's a company, and they took this fish oil, and they actually did a rigorous scientific clinical trial. And then this it did so well, and it was safe. So it's now an FDA-approved drug, and it's, it's, a, it's a type of fish oil that's that can be prescribed just like a drug. Um, it just means that the same, it's the same substance, but it was just proven more rigorously. And that's exactly what the medical food Axona uh, is currently um, uh, basically doing. They have a very large clinical trial um, and if you go to the, the website clinicaltrials.gov, um, you can, uh, you know, search for it. Um, I think you may have had a, even a link um, on, your, uh, on your website, too, mm-hmm. uh, which is helpful. And, and basically, if people are interested in getting into this uh, clinical trial, basically uh, what, what happens is, is they will, um, patients will be enrolled, and they will either get um, Axona, which actually it's kind of a, a different, it's a slightly different version of Axona, um, and then this version will be tested um, in people with different types of genes, uh, and they will look at genetics. And we'll try to figure out, does Axona work preferentially uh, in one gene versus the other? And right now, that's uh, what the preliminary evidence suggests in a subgroup analysis. Uh, that Axona is preferentially effective in patients that do not have one of those genes uh, that, are, that can help uh, increase the risk of Alzheimer's called APOE4 and the, the reason how I really learned so much about exona and really understood all this is since my research is in nutrition uh, the company actually called me um, and asked me to um, kind of discuss this with the FDA um, and uh, basically uh, the company is doing something called an investigational new drug application and that's why they're doing the clinical trial Trial and I was on the phone with the FDA and, and basically had to kind of give my uh, expertise or scientific judgment uh, or an overview about the product and, and kind of really. Uh, Try to take the next steps towards becoming an FDA-approved drug. So that's how I, I consulted for that uh, the company, and really, truly got to review the data and, and learned a lot more. Um, so uh, when it comes to the clinical trial, if if someone is interested in, in getting in getting uh, more information about this, I definitely advocate for going to clinicaltrials.gov um, and learning more. It's it's actually the. the the name of the drug, sorry, the name of the medical food is called Axona, but the name of the, um, uh, the agent in the clinical trial is called AC, like Apple Charlie, AC 1204 1204. Um, and uh, basically, going to, you can actually check out your, I know I think I saw it posted on your website, um, as well as clinicaltrials.gov and do a search for it. Um, and there's a clinical trial centers all over the country. I think they'll uh, be enrolling something like 480 um, uh, patients uh, all throughout. The country, and that clinical trial literally got started maybe about a week or two ago. So it's uh, wow. exciting. It's one of the many clinical trials that are, are going on, and again, just evidence that we're really making tremendous strides and progress.
0: Well, that's that's very exciting. And um, you know, with this clinical trial, will it? Would you know? Is it a, um, a deal where some will get the real thing and some will get a placebo, or will everybody be getting it so that they can analyze these? these genes, but is it a
1: double blind or... Exactly. So uh, the technical term is going to be it's called a randomized double blind, it's a randomized placebo controlled double blind study. What does this mean in English? Well, randomized means you have a 50-50 chance of getting the real thing or not. Um, Placebo means that the People that don't get the real thing, the Axona, uh, that's AC 1204, sorry, um, will actually get a placebo. Basically, that just has tastes similar, but it doesn't have the um, the active ingredients. Um, and um, uh, basically um, no one knows what you're getting the real stuff or the or the placebo the, the not real stuff um, so there's two different ways to try to you know for example if someone wants to get involved in a clinical trial um, and this is a great way to get the product for free for example that would be one way to do it if someone says you know what um, you know I'm going to ask my doctor because uh, you know there's a type of axona that's out right now the two types of the axona that's in the clinical trial is very similar to the axona that's uh, on the market right now but they are not the same um, but they are very similar but if someone decides that they want to uh, try axona or and they want to ask their doctor about it doctors currently can prescribe axona as a medical food um, and uh, that's one way to do it otherwise if someone says you know what I'd I'd rather do it in a clinical trial and try the a different version of axona but it's although they're very similar uh, then they can also uh, uh, learn more about the clinical trial and their sites uh, I think 60 sites all around the United States.
0: Okay, wonderful. And do you know, is, is this uh, covered by uh, medical assistance or Medicare or health insurance at all? Yeah. you know? Because uh, that's always a concern with people.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's it's so hard to balance costs. Uh, I mean, these medicines and these you know, the drugs out there with the copays and with the some of them are generic, but others aren't and plus, you know, when you're adding in a medical food and a supplement and all these other things, you know, the costs are, you know, something that we all have to be mindful of. Um I can just give you uh, I'm I you know, I I can't give you the exact answers because I mm-hmm. you know, I uh, I'm not a company kind of person, but I can tell you from, uh, you know, from my medical experience, from my patients, what they tell me. Um, there's a mail order that um, there's a mail order way to get it. Uh, it's $69 a month through the mail order, if, if and they, if they ship it to the person for free, so that's helpful. The person does not have to uh, go to the pharmacy or have to worry about that, and basically um, you can go to their website, I think, or in the sample kit, there's actually something that uh, my patients can fill out, and the doctor's office can fax it. So for $69, $69 a month, uh, the company, or some company or somewhere uh, will send it over um, it's also available um, in pharmacies um, on online what my patients have done is gone on the um, about com website and on there there's a, a financial assistance area one of them has a 20% off coupon so you can um, uh, pick it up at the prescription at the pharmacy use the 20% off coupon and save some money that way um, the other thing is that there is a financial assistance program. I believe um, if uh, if someone does not have enough funds to to pay for it, uh, I think there's a way to apply uh, for assistance of some sort. Um, I don't, again, have all the details about that. Um, and otherwise, um, in my in my patients, in terms of insurance covered, I would say it's it's very variable. Um, I'm in Florida, and um, I, I'm just going to give a general um, probably 40% of insurance companies in Florida. There's just so many different types of insurance companies and different policies and everything else. I would say 40% of the time it's covered um, in some way. In the other 60% of the time, when it's not covered, this is the way, you know, potentially it could cost $69 a month. Um, for me, um, in my clinical practice, um, listen, I, I understand money is important, and I'm not trying to waste anyone's money. I'm, I'm trying to do the best that I can for my patients, and, and you know, like I would to my family members, I'm going to recommend these types of things. and. Um, you know, based on a, a cost-benefit analysis, uh, I just think there's nothing more important um, than you know doing everything you can. So I, I do think that the, the cost is, is worth it. You know, some of these drugs can cost up to three hundred dollars a month if you don't have insurance. So this is a much uh, much less expensive. Um, you know, I know supplements can cost. Easily fifty to hundred dollars a month, uh, depending on which supplement uh, is purchased. And, and some of the supplements that are bought in the pharmacies or grocery stores or whatever, or the health food stores, have much less evidence, if, if let alone any evidence. Um, and believe me, I take a very aggressive approach and a very comprehensive approach, um, uh, a multi, you know, twenty-step uh, treatment plan and ten-step, at least probably fifteen-step now prevention plan. Um, and yes, these things cost money, but I, I do think that the Cost versus benefit um, is definitely in favor of, of using these therapies.
0: Okay, well that's I, I appreciate you going into um, all the various options because that is something that people, I mean, it, it, it weighs on their mind, especially you know with the status of things nowadays. Uh, people are just trying to survive, and so anything helps. Yeah. And sixty-nine dollars a month, I mean, I mean some of these pills are. You know way more than that um individually and stuff, and so you, I just hear all these horror stories of of people really struggling um to try to try to help and and do the right thing, but trying to figure out balance you know with it as well so I do right. want to talk about um your book um actually you you have written two books, and
1: um yeah so and
0: do. we definitely need to cover cover both of those if you're if you've got time to do so.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, the, the book that I, I came out last year in 2012, it's still pretty recent. Um, it was updated as of, I believe, July of 2012. So it's still very recent, actually, still somewhat hot off the press. It's called um, Alzheimer's Treatment, Alzheimer's Prevention, a Patient and Family Guide. Uh, if you want more information, they can you can. Google it or go to the website. The website's called theadplan.com, T-H-E-A-D-P-L-A-N, theadplan.com. And that was uh, really the book that I wrote literally for my patients. Um, And what I was doing is I was typing out so many recommendations for my patients. Um, You know, I would print out sometimes 20 to 30 pages um, at the printer um, that it got to the point where I said, you know what? I think I need to put this in a book form because uh, I'm breaking the printer cartridges too frequently. Um, so basically, it's, it's, it's exactly what I tell, it's, it's, it's written in large, it's large print, it's basically me talking. Um, it's uh, not very technical, it's basically going through, it's a question and answer format of kind of every, the, the way that I look at Alzheimer's, you know, what are the drugs, what are the this, what types of food, what types of that. Um, and it's basically the 30 most common questions that I get asked as an Alzheimer's specialist by my patients and their caregivers And it basically just is me talking about, um, you know, me speaking in in words on a paper uh, about how I would address Alzheimer's disease using this multimodal or comprehensive approach. You know, which types of mental activities are important? Does Sudoku help or not? You know, answering those very common questions. Um, What types of music therapies and music uh, activity programs may help? Things like that. Um, Going into the details, the very specific details about the drugs and about the medical food and supplements and, how to take them and how to be safe when taking them and the cost and I put all the cost information in there too and discussed the thing so that that was the first book and The most recent book really, really excited about, Um, I literally just had no idea that um, people would just really just be so interested in this book, and I'm so glad, but uh, the newest book is called The Alzheimer's Diet, uh, a step-by-step nutritional approach at memory loss prevention and treatment, and this book just came out a few months ago, and I am just floored and and really excited. I mean, people are literally reading this book and and absolutely changing the way they look at food, and uh, I mean, I think the data and the research shows that, you know, if someone makes a very small incremental change just to try to make each meal a little bit brain healthier. And that's what the book goes through. It goes through all the research, puts, um, puts basically the same plan that I use for my patients, the nine-week progressive diet plan that I put my patients on. Um, it not only includes different foods and, you know, different types of foods and tracking different carbohydrate levels, um, but also includes things like, uh, you know, using a medical food in people that already have Alzheimer's versus, you know, there's a whole chapter, chapters in the back about, are already about Alzheimer's treatment, beginning is more applicable to both treatment and prevention, reducing risk, and also talks about how certain people with certain genes may respond better to different therapies. So I think the book, The Alzheimer's Diet, has been really exciting. I wrote it with uh, my colleague and uh, close colleague, uh, Dr. Christopher Ochner. He's a nutrition expert. Uh, He was at Columbia University in New York. Now he's over at Mount Sinai. Um, And uh, it's just really been a lot of fun and uh, just gotten some very rewarding feedback about it. So those are are the two books, and um, they're written for patients and caregivers and, and, and pretty easy to read. Um, and uh, if anyone's interested in checking them out I'd, I'd, and, and have feedback on them, please please let us know. We'd love to hear feedback too.
0: Well, great. And I do want to throw out to the audience, if anybody has a question for Dr. Isaacson, um, again, please feel free to use your chat box or you can call in live to the show at 714-364-4757. That's 714-364-4757. Well, this has just been a fascinating discussion, and um, as you said, we've got the link um, on Blog Talk Radio um, for the clinical trial, so you can just click on that. Same to get to your website, and then uh, people want to go ahead and purchase those books as well. um, Try to make it real easy, and then I'll be doing up a blog with the link of the archive with the show, and we'll have all those connections for you as well. So... um, yeah, very very interesting. Um, lots of fun things going on, and, and you shared it in such simple terms uh, for all of us to, to be able to digest, <laughs> which is which is again just so 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 wonderful. I think this, uh, you know, with the medical foods, it's not something that people hear about. I know I I didn't really even know that it existed, um, and and I've been on this journey with my mom for thirty years, but I didn't really understand it, um, which. <sighs>
1: I'm going, to, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I got a phone call from a patient of mine about four and a half years ago. Um, her, her husband actually got me. Um, I'm a big Yankee fan. Um, maybe you're a Minnesota Twins fan. We have a little bit of a rivalry, but um, I have a Yankee, Yankee Stadium uh, thing in my office that I'm looking at right now. And, um, you know, when his wife called me about this, um, I, you know, I had heard about medical foods a while. I, I couldn't even give you the definition of a medical food, and this was just four or five, probably five years ago. Um, so doctors just aren't even aware. Uh, patients, caregivers. Aren't aware, um, and I think it's uh, you know really great that finally not only the um, international community. I lectured on this literally two days ago and and uh, three days ago, and I mean I think we're really um, finally making progress to show that medical foods are a worthwhile therapeutic option that needs to be considered, as well as nutrition and, and all these really safe as well as uh, uh, effective uh, nutritional approaches.
0: Well, and I think people are getting much more conscious, and I, I think as this bubble, you know, approaches, you know, and the numbers keep growing, people realize we're not going to have a cure. You know, there's not going to be this magic pill, you know, probably in, in our lifetime, or it might be towards the very end. Um, right. Even though research is plugging along with things, and we need alternatives, and people are really, um, you know, they're looking at this holistic approach um, right. in terms of what is it am I putting in my body, and, I, you know, I think you're your book is fantastic. I, you know, I think the, the medical food angle is, is another thing. The exercise, um, all of those pieces, people are really starting to take seriously because they're, they're seeing more and more that um, younger people, you know, this isn't an old person's disease anymore, um, yeah. and that, uh, you know, our bodies are changing uh, much earlier than we even recognize. Um, or will yeah. most most of the time admit <laughs> that it's going on, and sometimes we're not even aware, um, but through yeah. some of the research that's being done and the testing and that there are things that are showing, you know, we can battle this. Um, so I just I think it's really time to become more dementia-friendly. People want to get more educated. They know that if they haven't been touched, they will be because it's just yeah. a numbers game, and the numbers right. are just going yeah. up. So...
1: Yeah, well, it does look like
0: we have any questions from our audience, but, again, I just can't thank you enough for all the wonderful information that you shared with us, and this hour has just blown by. It, it always does, though. I'm always just fascinated on, on how these topics um, are so intriguing and uh, give us such great, great information. Is there anything else that you wanted to, to add?
1: Well, I, I just uh, want to well, first of all just thank you again um, for not only spreading the information about nutrition and medical foods and and but just all that you do. I mean, your your footprint uh, on this disease is, is really just uh, critical and essential, and I, I appreciate it because it helps my patients learn. Um, but I, I think um you know this disease is hard. I mean, this disease is like. The heart is not even a good enough word. It's, it's, it's a disease that affects not just the patient, the entire family. And I think we need to have hope. Um, there is no one magic pill. There's no one magic patch. There's no one magic drink. There's no one magic anything that's going to stop this disease dead in this tracks just yet, um, in the future, hopefully, but not for at least 10, 15, 20 years. In that time, this multimodal um, uh, therapeutic approach, balancing safety with potential for benefit, is just truly what I really believe where we need to be, and I, I absolutely believe that in 2013 and, and in few, in, the, in the next few years, there is absolutely more hope now than ever for Alzheimer's. I, I think we need to keep up the fight. We need to stay educated, stay informed, and um, really uh, just just keep battling. And I think um, this is a fight we we can win. It's going to take a little time, uh, but we will we will uh, we will uh, be able to uh, make great progress.
0: I agree. I agree. I think, um, I'm, and I'm sure you're aware, over in the UK there. Um, doing what's called dementia friendly communities and businesses over there and um, yes. you know they're just getting such a great response of people getting educated and becoming advocates and just kind of shining stars for the disease and you know their goal I believe is to get a million friends and um, those are all people that are just going to be walking and talking um, you know dementia and having their their eyes and ears open for how do we better serve how do we how do we allow people to live better lives? And you know, for myself, I'm rolling out what I call um, dementia-friendly businesses and, and communities campaign, where people can become a dementia star, and that's similar to what they're doing over there. But um, in you know, with all the different platforms that I have now, it allows people to position themselves, um, all types of businesses. Um, you know throughout my platform so that people can find them because for me as a caregiver that was one of my biggest struggles was a I didn't even know what resources were available or what I needed and people need to be able to make choice um, and they have to be able to find things in a simpler fashion so the the um, collaborative resource directory that I um, built on my website too is so that people can input and share information because, like you said, we're not—we can't do this alone. This is not a disease of one. Um, this is a disease that affects everybody a little bit different, and it's not just the person diagnosed. It's like you said—the family, the friends, the coworkers, the communities. It impacts us all, and we just have to get, you know, much more knowledge-based and and more compassionate um, regarding this disease because. You know, these individuals are so much more than a disease, um, but sometimes Absolutely. they feel like they're put in a box, and that's how people look at them, as the disease. And, you know, if someone's got heart disease or diabetes or cancer, you know, we don't look at them just as a disease, and that really has to change. Right. So many right. good ways to be able to um, to switch things up. So, well, we will definitely um, push people to your website. Again, that's www the a d and that's appledogplan.com and um, we've got the link for the clinical trial as well and then um, have highlighted both of those books so we'd love people to uh, to read those and get back to you with their feedback as well and um, you know see what their thoughts are so thank you again so much for joining us today
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lori. I really appreciate it, and uh, I'm happy to uh, happy to help spread spread all this information that people can actively use, literally starting today, to help up better better their lives and memory.
0: Yep, that is absolutely fantastic. I do want to remind people that this afternoon I will be doing a, a dementia chats webinar. Again, that is a free webinar. We're going to be interviewing um, Harry Urban and Michael uh, Ellen Borgen, and uh, they're going to be talking about advocacy and what they're doing both of these men live with the disease and it'll be a very fun um, fun hour i'm sure that will fly by (laughs) as well as it always does and with these webinars again you can go to the blog to get the link on that um, which is just at www.alzheimerspeaks.com and um, come and join us join the conversation and people are using these webinars um, I've been told families are using them for family kind of get-togethers just to learn more about the disease. Um, doctors are watching them, just fascinated with what they're learning from the patients. Um, people are using them for support groups and training. And, again, all it is is an informal conversation um, with people that are actually living with this disease. Our next show is coming up. Um, I'm going to be taking just a week off here. But we've got plenty of shows for you to listen to in the archives. But on the fifth um, of let's see, of April, I'm going to have Kay Fox on, and we are going to be talking about um, transgender needs. And then on um, actually on um, March 26th, I'm also going to have Gary Glazner with art and poetry, which will be just a fascinating show. And then on the on the 29th, at the very end of the month, we're going to have Us Against Alzheimer's on. And they are just such a massive movement out there, you know, trying to pull people together and help with research and, and uh, again, education as well. So thank you all for being with us. Again, if you enjoyed the show, we would appreciate it if you like us on Facebook and, and tweet us and share it with your friends, because, again, that's a way that that you can be an advocate by just pushing a couple of buttons. If you don't have time uh, to do what I'm doing, um, that's okay. There's so many different levels in terms of spreading the word. So, again, thank you so much. And, Dr. Isaacson, thank you for all you're doing. And people, don't forget to go to his website, theadplan.com. Till the next time, we will talk soon. Bye now.